0: everyone, welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Alison Gunnendyke. Good morning, everybody. Happy Advent. Does it feel like Christmas to you? okay, wow, that was a mixed bag. (laughs) Yeah, mm -hmm. (laughs) wow. okay, so I'm with all of you today who are like, uh, yep, gonna, gonna just regroup here a minute. Even my mic pack didn't wanna come up here with me on the stage, so we're all good today, but welcome, I'm glad you're here. My name's Allison, if I don't know you, I'm one of the lead pastors. And uh, just as Steph said earlier today, we are officially in the Advent season, uh, something that is celebrated by the global historic church uh, where we are waiting, we are longing, we are desiring, we are hoping for uh, salvation to come. And we know that that's in the person of Jesus when he comes at Christmas to us. Um, But kids in the room, do you guys know what the word Advent means? Buddy? Hadley's thinking. Liam looks like he wants to raise his hand. Oh, well, okay, not ahead. a kid, but go for it. Great. Okay. Church,
1: I, 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 I attended, I attended okay. Uh,
0: your Latin lesson for this morning this is amazing yes oh come let us adore him and that's actually the the title that we've kind of given our sermon series for Advent yeah that's amazing Hadley did you have something okay give it a shot it it has that element in it yes Jesus is going to come, and so we're waiting. It really means we're just waiting, right? We're waiting, we're watching, we're looking. Um, and I would imagine that some of you kids even think that waiting is kind of boring. Is that true? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. <laughs> Fantastic. That's very boring. So Isla wrapped my Christmas present last night, and it's the only one under the tree right now. And I'm like, are you really going to be able to wait to tell mom what's inside the box? Are you going to be able to keep the secret? So we'll have to see what she does. But it is. It's so boring. It's so hard. It seems so tedious. Um, But this Christmas, this is what we're going to lean into as a church. We are going to talk about worship and how we can worship in our waiting and how waiting actually leads us into the heart of worship uh, because we get to touch the deep things that we really want in our life and uh, i've been going through uh, some content with our worship leaders from vineyard worship essentials and basically they've packaged this idea of what it means to be a worshiper in our movement as four h's worshipers are hungry they're humble they're human and they're home And so those are gonna be our four talks for this Christmas, landing with we're home in Jesus and the person of Jesus on Christmas Eve. So I can't wait. I'm really, really excited for this. Um, So today we're gonna lean into our hunger. And I am actually Feeling really hungry right now I thought it was pretty funny I forgot to eat breakfast so I was eating my little breakfast bar that I snuck out of the kitchen before I got up here and I thought well Jesus isn't that just so kind I can lean into my physical hunger as we also talk about our spiritual hunger right so we are hungry people we are searching people this is just true and we actually don't outgrow our hunger that's the first thing I want us to really think about this, this morning. Um, you know, as we mature, we're born babies, we're, we are grow into toddlers, but as we mature, we begin to interact with the world differently, right? We think about things differently. We have different um, skills and different ideas and different passions. But no matter how old you are, you have to eat. You have to eat to stay alive. If we don't eat and drink, we're not here. And, you know, we maybe get more sophisticated with the things we like to eat. Our our palate changes, our appetite changes, Um, but you have to put food and liquid in your mouth three times a day. And you guys, if you include snacks like I do at my house with little kids, It's like, what, 10 times a day, right? Because my kids like to snack at least five or six or seven times a day in between the meals. But in all seriousness, this biological need that we have is also reflecting a deeper spiritual need in our life, and that's how Jesus designed it. So if you would, can you stand with me? If you have a Bible, flip it open to John chapter seven this morning. And we are going to read Jesus' words to us about our hunger. John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38 this morning. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted at the crowds. Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And he goes on to say that the rivers of living water are the spirit. And then I want to also echo this for a moment in Isaiah 55. So the prophet Isaiah is forecasting this to us. And he says it this way, if anyone is thirsty, come and drink, even if you have no money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love that I promised to David. You can have seat. So this is Jesus' prevailing message to everyone he meets when you look at How Jesus interacts with people you have an ache this is what he's trying to get us to pay attention to you have an ache and it's one that only I can fill and you're looking in all the wrong places and I'm trying to draw your attention to me this is our spiritual condition that we're hungry and thirsty and we need to be fed and we can't actually change this about ourselves it has to be met in the person of jesus we have hungers and thirsts and desires and longings and they must be fed they must be fed so i love that jesus in this passage is shouting this message to a crowd now the context is that they have concluded or they're on the concluding day of the feast of tabernacles so they're already hungry or they're already full rather sorry they are already full They've filled their bellies with all this good food and maybe are kind of starting to like lull themselves into a sleepy place like we all probably did on Thanksgiving, right? Um, They are not feeling hungry at this moment. And that's when Jesus says, I'm going to speak to you now about a different kind of hunger that you have. And I think he's drawing our attention to the fact that in the kingdom, life with God is meant to be a feast. We are meant to be together around a huge table full of delicious food that nourishes our bodies. And um, at this feast, the the Feast of Tabernacles, what is actually happening is there are priests there and they are pouring out water and they are pouring out wine. Uh, And they're doing this around the altar. And there's a ton of symbolism in this, uh, but one of the things that they're doing in pouring out the water is they're asking for rain they're asking for the thing that the crops need to grow the food that they need to eat and then the wine symbolizes the harvest they're asking that those crops then grow up and become something that they can actually uh, take into their bodies but again when you hear the word harvest we're thinking about salvation too right like jesus says there is a harvest to be had i want to harvest people which means he wants to bring them into a saving awareness of his grace and his love. Jesus is talking to them about a promise of new life and a hunger that will continue until we, we get to receive that in full, right? The spring rain for the crops, but also God raising something up out of a dry place with a river. And so I've been thinking about this idea of eating a lot, especially because I have young kids, like I said. Some days I'm like, really? Why do we have to eat three times a day? All I do is make the food, feed them the food, clean it up, make the next meal, feed it to them, clean it up. It's really a wonder I get anything else done. This is all we're doing is eating in my house, right? Um, But I remember the excitement of feeding both my girls their first solid foods when they're little, right? they like, you're ready to try pureed food, and it's like pureed peas or pureed sweet potato, and it doesn't look that appetizing, but we're so excited, at least I was as a mom. I'm so excited to feed them this food, and it's because my parent heart, I think I even remember saying this to Aviva, like, oh, you just wait, girl. You are gonna get to enjoy and engage the world in a whole new way. Like, all you've tasted was milk, but..." There's like this whole array of food and tastes and delights and things for you to love and try. And so in that Isaiah passage that we looked at, there are commands in there. And I love that you know when there's those imperatives coupled together, usually it's trying to get our attention to understand that the first command uh, causes the second one or the second one is the result of the first one. So, I think I have some of these listed up here for us. There's come and drink, listen and eat, and then eat and enjoy, and then listen and find life. And God says, You get all this in me. This is just how I've designed it to work. And so, we're going to look at, for the rest of the time, uh, not just the way that Jesus is declaring this to the crowds of people, that that they're invited to come and to feast and enjoy and get all of their deepest hungers met. We're gonna look at that and how he shows up really, really personally to a woman at the well. But before we go there, uh, I just think it would be honest for us to name the fact that we're not always hungry. I'm not always hungry. I'm not always thirsty. I know what it's like to be in a dry place that just says, I don't, I don't really care. And if you're there today, I want you to know you're not alone in that. And ever since you've said yes to Jesus, there's a real enemy opposing your soul, trying to pull us away from going to the source to get our needs met, right? Right? The world, our own flesh, the devil, all these things are coming at us trying to stuff down the real thing that's good that we want and replace it with something counterfeit. And did you catch in in that Isaiah passage, the prophet is saying like, guys, why are you paying for food? that? Does you no know good? That's the NLT translation, right? In another translation, and I think it's NIV, it says, why would you eat food that doesn't satisfy you? Right? And I love the word satisfy, it's all over the Bible. Uh, Jesus saying, I long to satisfy you, I will satisfy you. When you're parched, when you're dry, when you're weary, I will satisfy. But here we have people who are eating junk food, eating spiritual junk food, eating the food of the culture. I mean, it makes sense, right? Anytime we want something, we want something, we want something, we want something, we don't get it, what happens? We get bored, we get apathetic, we get tired. We uh, we just want something new and exciting. We just need some novelty, right? And we stop paying attention. So it's very possible that we in this room right now are all just kind of full on something else, on, on things that are not Jesus. That we've filled up our stomachs with things that ultimately are not good for us. And some of you have tasted the world's banquet, right? And you've, you realize that's an empty place. But even if that's not your story today, I, I wonder if it's just harder for us in the Christmas season to actually tap into our need for Jesus. This is a little bit what I'm noticing, right? like we're, we're the church, we're in Advent, this is our holiday, you guys. This is not Santa's holiday and the mall's holiday and even like the Christmas program's holiday and the movies and all, that's not, it's the church's the church's time to celebrate Jesus and yet I just sometimes think like because there's so much excess I don't feel my need for Jesus because there's cookies and presents and lights and wrapping and extra family gatherings to try to fit into our calendars we just don't have that felt sense of need for Jesus and so it's easy to get distracted and we just forget to pay attention we just forget to talk to God in the morning. We forget to read our Bible. We forget to talk to a friend in church about what we're struggling with to see if they might have a word for us from Jesus that would encourage us, right? Did you know that your heart is a muscle? Back to you kids. Do you know that your heart's a muscle? Do you know how muscles work? Yes, you do. Okay, how do muscles work? How do you build muscles? No one knows how to build muscles, this is not good. Okay, Grayson. You use them, perfect. Do you use them like lifting your pencil, lifting a french fry? Do you use them that way? I mean, I I like to count that. I'm like, look, I'm exercising, my arm up to my mouth, no. Uh, Great, no, we have to work them out, right? You can exercise your appetite. This is what I want you to understand this morning. You can exercise your appetite and grow your appetite. You will get not beefy arms and a six-pack, maybe, if you read your Bible and pray, but you will grow your heart muscle for Jesus. It will expand. It will get stronger. It will beat, and your longings will come to the surface. And if you don't use your muscles, what happens? Anybody. They atrophy. That's the right word. You guys are smart. This is great. Atrophy. That's what physically happens to muscles. They waste away. They shrink. They actually become smaller when when they're neglected or underused. And so this morning, if that's you, and you're feeling like, "I, I can't touch... Like, I don't even know how to touch the things I want. I don't know how to get my wanter engaged because it's buried so far underneath, like disappointment and disappointment and discouragement and pain and rejection and the thing that I was dreaming about that didn't happen. If you're tamped down, tune in to this really, really beautiful story in John 4 Where Jesus shows up to the Samaritan woman at the well if you want to go there I think the page numbers on the screen one 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 zero okay we're just gonna be in the Bible a lot today guys this is gonna be good okay John chapter 4 Jesus is traveling around he's just tried to reveal truth to Nicodemus and now he's on the move again and we pick it up in verse 3 where it says so he left Judea and returned to Galilee and Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field of Jacob oh, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Okay. We have to set the stage here for what is really happening. If some of you know this story, this is just just stunning. All 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 the stories are stunning, but I'm loving this one. Samaritans were Jewish people, but they weren't recognized by the Jews as like legitimate because they had intermarried with Gentiles. That's what's happening, and that's against the law, okay? So already in this story, there's racial tension because they are uh, thought of as not being true to the Jewish culture and laws. And not only is the tension here racial, we also have religious tensions. Because the Samaritans didn't acknowledge the temple as the correct or true place to worship. They were kind of fixated on a specific mountain where they thought they had to go to meet with God. And of course, then to the Jewish people, they said, well, you didn't really stay true uh, to what it means to be part of the family. And they thought this so much so that... People, if you set foot in Samaria and you walked around, that you would actually become unclean yourself. And that is how how much dissonance there is between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. And I'm sure you're thinking right now of other stories in the Bible where Jesus uses Samaritans to teach us about how much he's willing to go to give this message of living water to people right and so that's why in this text it says jesus had to go through samaria he probably actually really didn't and some bible scholars think that it was because the holy spirit was prompting him jesus was walking around he was in communication with his father spirits at work and he says you need to go here i have a a divine meeting for you at a well and so he sits down and he asks for a drink of water. And again, it's easy to read it and go, well, like, he was just teeing this up to like talk to this woman about her spiritual thirst, right? But he probably was actually just thirsty, because it's hot, it's noontime. He's in a foreign space, and he doesn't have anything to draw water from the well. So he asks this woman for a drink. And in verse nine, she says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? So immediately she's on her heels when Jesus comes up, right? She's like, wait a minute, this is so not supposed to happen. We are not having this conversation right now. Uh, Jews and Samaritans don't interact with each other. Why are you talking to me, right? And we're gonna see her response to Jesus kind of unfold over the course of this conversation. And I just think it's so fascinating and instructive for us Uh, To see how many layers sometimes there are on top of our real desire The real thing that we're hungry and thirsty for so right away. She puts up this wall, and there's resistance here So Jesus responds because he actually does see at this point uh, she she really is spiritually thirsty and So then in verse 10 he says if you only knew the gift God has for you And who you were speaking to, then you would ask me. And I would give you living water. And again, she's just immediately suspicious about this guy, right? Like, how can you offer me living water? And she almost offends him by pointing out, like, you can't give me water because you don't have a bucket, right? And she's still pushing back to him. And it's interesting here, he's trying to say, look at me. I have something for you, right? And she's like, she gets uncomfortable about this statement, so she's like, nope, I'm gonna like talk to you about this problem that we have about the well, like whose water is better? Are you saying Jacob's well water is better? You're saying yours is better than Jacob, but Jacob is my ancestor, and she's just getting lost in all of this, right? Or it can seem that she's getting lost in the details But actually, she is drawing out of herself in that moment, I think, her awareness that she's in a family that's disconnected from their story. She's an outsider. She's a Samaritan. And she's trying to say, Jesus, do you see me? Do you see me? I'm acknowledging this well is from Jacob. So she's drawing back to, like, my God is the same God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm in the family. I want to be in the family. But she feels excluded. And so here Jesus is opening her up to this possibility that there's life in a different way that she's ever that she's never known before. And so she says, give me some. Give me some. It's interesting, right? Cuz we Jesus could have stopped there and said, okay, like great. Here's your water. But he doesn't. He says, go and get your husband that's a weird response. She says, "I'd like some water, please," and he says, "Go get your husband." Okay, right? What's he doing here? He's—we're going one layer deeper into desire here, into her hurt, into her need, into the real thing she wants. And she goes on to say, "Oh, I don't have a husband." And then Jesus says, "You're right. You've had five, and the man you're not—we're with right now—you're also not married to." And and we know that how that plays out. And now there's a couple different ways you could interpret what she's saying, and we don't have time for me to go into all of those for why Jesus says what you're saying is true about your life. Um, But suffice it to say that no matter the circumstances that led her to that reality in that moment, this lady is in some deep pain. She's at the well, she's by herself. She's in the heat of the day at noon Most of the women would have gone first thing in the morning when it was cooler. It would have been a social thing that you could go and have friends and chit-chat and catch up. But she's all by herself. It's hot. And she's desperate. She's not okay. And as Jesus is uncovering this story with her, she recognizes he's a prophet. Right? But it's crazy because she's still dodging him. She's still dodging him. because Jesus's question about her husband is exposing something in her that's really pierced her life. And she doesn't really know how to talk about her shame. She doesn't know how to, how to have this conversation with Jesus. So she dodges again by saying, okay, but where's the correct place to worship again? Like, how, am I, how do I do this right? How do I be in relationship with you? And so Jesus replies in verse 21, He says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain that you're talking about or in Jerusalem. Uh, You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. It's kind of blunt. Yep. Uh, While the Jews know all about him, but salvation comes through the Jews. But a time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the woman is still confused. I love this, this is like me sometimes. Like Jesus is like, hey, you're making it about the wrong thing. I'm offering life to you, a drink that you can take that then you'll never thirst again. And she's like, okay, this is her response. Well, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And so when he comes, he'll explain it all to me. (laughs) Oh, it's so great. And Jesus says, I am. The messiah and this is his first i am of of all of john's gospels john goes on to say i am a lot of, he says jesus says i am a lot of things but he says i am right up here right up front the messiah to this woman and don't you just love this like jesus knows her desires are misplaced he knows her faith is really weak he knows that her life is not going well for her and that she's Really, like, whatever's been done to her or she's done, there's a mess on her hands, right? But he's holding her tenderly. He's holding her with compassion. And I think we all want that kind of compassion when we're faced with our pain. But he says, I am the Messiah. Everything you've been waiting for has arrived in me. I'm the true drink. I'm the spring rain. I'm the true temple. I am with you. He's offering not the water he's offering himself. And then finally, the woman realizes, right? She realizes, oh, you are the joy of my longing heart. It's you. This is who I want. And what is her response? She says the woman left her water jar beside the well. And she ran back to the village to tell her friends and family. She leaves her jar. That's the only way she's going to carry this water that's going to quench her thirst, but she drops it. And I love this because it just sounds so much like the fishermen who drop their nets too, right? They say, this was the thing I was going to be taken care of by, and I'm putting it down, and I'm going to stick with you, Jesus. Well, there's something about how Jesus just wakes up desire in our hearts. But it does require us to get present to our lack, right? We have to realize that we're hungry. But I love that Jesus didn't say, no, 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 don't go tell people about this great news. You better stay here and chug this well dry. <laughs> like, I'm giving you water, and like you gotta drink, you gotta drink all of me right now. The actual... Greek here is one single drink, that's all it takes, one sip of Jesus. Like we're not separately commissioned to go then share this drink with other people, we drink it and then we're like, we're in, we're in the game to give it away to everybody. So the woman came for water and she left with the well, she left with the whole well in Jesus. And it's vulnerable, isn't it, to be hungry and thirsty? I'm realizing this. Like, I don't like to admit that I have needs, that I need help, that I want to be taken care of, that I actually have to ask for something. Because to be hungry and thirsty means we have to stay empty and let Jesus fill us up. We have to rely on God to feed us. So I think there's just a real invitation today to get honest about our stories, honest about the places where we are dry and need a drink. And let Jesus ask us, like, what do you want? What do you need? That's what he wants us to look at. And to the Samaritan woman and to us, Jesus, again, is saying, everything you want has arrived in me. I satisfy, and I bring delight. And so here is a real, just as we close, a real practical way for us to live into this. I love this idea from Dale Bruner. He's a a theologian, scholar, who wrote a commentary on John. And he says, asking, the act of asking is belief exhaling. Isn't that great? Like, I inhale my trust of Jesus. I say, I trust you, I trust you, I trust you, God. And then I exhale, please, please, God. Please help me. Please feed me. I just think that's a way that we can move our belief from our head to our hearts. And you can know, like, am I actually believing Jesus? To the degree that you are asking God for stuff, yes. Yes, yes, you are. And in the season of Advent, in community, we get to know together today and remind each other that we're in the now and the not yet of the kingdom, which means we are actually at the same time satisfied in God and also still very, very hungry and thirsty. So we're going to lean into some ministry time now, but I want you to start in your seats and... Just recognize that that's that's the tension of Advent, right? We are carrying the fullness of God's presence with us. He is actually here. He is as as close as your breath. He is in the room. He is here to to feed us and feast with us and invite us to the banquet that he is. Um, And we are still empty. We are waiting for more. We want more and that's a good thing. And so Jesus has said, come, come and drink, come and drink take of me but we also get to say come no now you come jesus come to me and we've kind of chosen to lean into this song come thou long expected jesus as our advent hymn um, this month and that's what we're doing we're asking jesus to come so if you can just close your eyes plant your feet on the ground get settled in your body here we're just going to take a few minutes And we're going to use the lyrics of this song as a prayer. So I'll, I'll just guide you through a few prompts. So it starts out, "Come, Thou long expected Jesus, born to set Thy people free." And so now, in your heart, I just want you to think, "Why do I want Jesus to come? Why is He coming for me?" From our fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. In the places that you are still restless, what might Jesus say to you? Israel's strength and consolation hope of all the earth thou art dear desire of every nation joy of every longing heart and just let your longings begin to surface and ask God to give you a heart that longs for him Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.